My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. So today we are going to talk about paper wasps. I know in the past we've mentioned, you guys had a one about just wasps in general, right? I think so. No idea. In the past. <laughs> we, it's <laughs> no been idea. over a year. We don't know what we've talked about. <laughs> well, I just wanted to um, make sure that we're, we're separating these out correctly. So paper wasps, not to be confused with the yellow jackets or, or hornets. So paper wasps also have... Well, let's back up a little bit. So belong to the order Hymenoptera, the family, they are in Vespidae. So that groups them in with yellow jackets and hornets. But then paper wasps belong to a subfamily, Polystene. So the other common name for that group is going to be the umbrella wasps, which apparently they get that name from their nest, their, their nesting habits. Yeah. So their nests are the, uh, the little open paper, if you will, wasps, they kind of hang upside down. They're attached to structures, trees. Where do you guys find them commonly? Eaves of houses, soffits. Unfortunately, if you're pruning, you need to be careful when you're reaching in there because they can nail you at that point. And that's unpleasant. I've had that happen. Just any kind of sheltered location. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently this time of the year, they like those sheltered dark areas, which I guess we'll, we'll get into in a minute. But if you're like me, you're you're lucky and you find them in your fireplace as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, back up the truck. What? I text Molly earlier this week. I'm like, how ironic. There's a giant paper wasp nest up inside of my fireplace, like at the top of the fireplace outside. Oh, perfect. And so it's been pretty windy here. And so one day I came home and there was There's like a red wasp, which it looks like deep burgundy one. And then there's like three of those yellow and brown ones, which I'm pretty sure are the ones that are making that nest up there. The red one, is that the queen and like an overwintering queen or something? So I think that one is an overwintering queen because I can't find the other three that I think belong to the fireplace thing. But that one red one is now in my living room. The ceilings are like super high and it's all the way up there and hasn't come down for like three days so (laughs) it's too late for me and i i have a ladder and even with my ladder i can't reach it so whatever oh wow yeah (laughs) so yeah nests are open suspended by a a petiole um which is also i am assuming that's just thin structure is what we're going to give that um, yeah because we call that for the for the skinny piece on ants too do we call it for the skinny piece on wasps between the I believe so, yeah. So it's more visible in things like mud daubers or like the thread-wasted wasps, yeah. Do you know why they dangle it from just that little tiny bit? So I was reading about that and apparently, I don't have the paper to back this up, but wasps, paper wasps are known to apparently put like pheromones around that that petiole to deter like ants and and other predators from, from getting to their young. And then it's just one little teeny tiny piece they have to defend. They don't have, if you had the whole thing like crammed up, smushed on the eaves or something, then they'd have to defend all of it. But they just have that little tiny piece to defend otherwise. Right, right. But also it's like, it allows them to be able to nest in other spots, like a little tiny branch, because it's just going to dangle down, you know? Yeah. 
know, they don't have to find like a big flat structure or flat surface to mush it up on. So it probably has multiple benefits or mo- you need to do reasons. like some weird, like engineering study. Well, like, could you imagine like a house like that? If you had a tree house that was hanging down from like a little patio and that would be mm-hmm. so cool. <laughs> Seems like weird city guidelines are going to keep you from doing that. (laughs) Hey, green building. We're basing this on, you know, environmental (laughs) stuff. (laughs) True, true. All right. So as far as numbers of species, um, I found so many numbers. So um, I found as many as 20 species of paper wasps just for North America in general. I found eight species in Texas and I'm not even, and I know Molly's mentioned this before, when it comes to counting species, there's always going to be, you know, crossover. Some are a little bit to the east, some are a little bit to the west. Um, in general, most of these species, to me, look to be in the top, like, two-thirds of North America. Um, oh, really? 20, yeah, which is interesting. So I was trying to look at, like, distribution maps. And you get some of them coming down into Mexico and 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 Texas, but... I wonder if, and we'll talk about like the life cycle as well, because these guys tend to, or girls, I should say, tend to die off in the winter. Everyone dies off. The queen, you know, lives through and then creates her nest nest and starts that um, that nest, that colony all over again in the spring. Um, so I wonder if that has something to do with it. Maybe like the areas that get colder. I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> well, but it's weird though. I mean, why wouldn't there be the species further south where then they can have multiple generations per year, or maybe they're just not equipped for that or something. That, that is very interesting. Like they truly need the winter to. It's like, we got to take a break. Dive the population. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They have to to reset. Huh. Now, next time I go like Mexico, I I need to pay attention to see. I'm going to look for paper wasp nests. Yeah. I'm thinking of like, I mean, Granted, anytime I've been to Mexico, it's like at a resort where they don't, where they like, yeah, I see them fogging every single night. It's kind of scary. So I don't think anything would survive, but I've never seen a wasp in, in my resorts in Mexico. Yeah. So we we keep saying paper wasps. So I, I wanted to touch a little bit on, on how they actually make that. So it's kind of a, it's a combination of plant fibers, right? So the wasps will go out and gather plant fibers and kind of chew and mush that all up along with their saliva essentially and and it creates this paper-like uh substance which then dries and they create all these galleries out of it it's like paper mache kind of or like remember when you were a kid giant spitball nest yeah yeah (laughs) oh which is essentially how humans make paper right we grind up and melt or or like mush down and get it really wet wood don't we and cellulose material so, yeah, and they like strain it. Uh-huh. <laughs> have you guys seen the paper wasp nests where they have given them different colors of construction paper? And no, then but that's they funny. have these really gorgeous nests. They're so beautiful. <laughs> no, but yeah, that would be like you could do artwork on that. Yes. I have actually, I have a like a a big bowl that I have paper wasp nests in that I set on the dining room table. And I think it's like a cool little centerpiece. You know, some people think it's weird, but some of them are so big and gorgeous. Only entomologists yeah. people. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll now be sitting out some construction paper in the spring to see if <laughs> I can get any colorful nests. 
So I, I know that we mentioned all of this northern stuff, and yet I have a fun fact about some wasps found in, in Costa Rica in, in a rainforest. So an, an adaptation for wasps in rainforests is how they will gather water out of the paper nest. So they they suck out the excess moisture and they'll dangle off of the nest and just drip that water out in order to keep their nest dry. So they like make it rain. Yes. That is brilliant. I saw that in a National Geographic video. They're their own dehumidifier. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty neat. So depending on the species, um, there's typically one dominant queen. Um, from what I found, there can be multiple dominant queens who, who will be laying. But typically, there's going to be one, one queen that is going to head up the nest. She's going to start building that nest up. Um, she lays her first generation of larvae. She provides provisions for them. Once those emerge into adults, they begin main foraging and and construction duties. Um, And the only duty that the dominant queen really has is laying eggs. Yes. So that's in the the springtime where you see like the the wasps and they're just starting to build them and they only have like, you know, three or four cells. It's like a little tea tiny. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right when they're starting. So once that grows and you guys can can add to this, um, I've definitely feel like I've seen nests larger than the six to eight inch average is what I found and they can move their abdomen I I I was giving a talk to some of the I think it was during a school IPM talk and I was demonstrating how like a fire ant for example will bite and sting and I'm like we look at it as like one body like one long shape and like it doesn't have any sort of point of articulation but it's like no they can move that abdomen around and like sting you multiple times yeah yeah, they, yeah. So um, peak population numbers um, tend to be observed June to the end of July. Once you get into the fall, those numbers start to decline. And then once we get into the colder months, what happens is that basically a newly reared queen who has been mated at that time seeks shelter. So at this point, you find just lone female wasps that are going to overwinter in some sort of crevice. Typically, it's going to be like under bark, for example, but this is whenever you find them coming indoors or in sheds, Mm -hmm. places that are away from the elements where they can wait for warmer weather to to start that cycle all over again. So they must um, eat a lot. So they have tons of fat bodies prior to the cold, making them kind of hunker down. And I wonder like if, you know, what the percentages of, of the females that of the Queens that actually make it to the springtime, because I bet it's not that high. I, I would imagine starvation is probably a key. Well, but can they go into a state of torpor? Maybe, maybe, maybe they do. I, I was wondering that as well. And well, I mean, what they also feed on predominantly, caterpillars which are super fat dense fatty so they get nice and plump and then they hibernate like a like a bear right and then i saw fly and beetle it said beetle larvae so i I don't know if that's saying i i think it's saying maggots and the beetle larvae so those soft-bodied very fat dense larvae chunky Um, stuff yeah chunky calories do you know or did you find like how how do they produce a queen? Is that like from fertilized eggs versus unfertilized yeah. or like, how was, do they know that this is going to turn into a queen versus 
Well, usually, usually with Hymenoptera, it's like the unfertilized becomes a male and the fertilized becomes a female, but like in honeybees, it's what they're fed. So what royal jelly, right? Yeah. But what would the wasp be? That's that. It is weird. I was wondering that as well, and I couldn't find anything about royal jelly. So I don't know if it's something, if it's cues that are given off by the hive or or what. And Or do they just, just one just becomes it, like becomes the ruler? I wonder if everyone has the ability to, I feel like I read something about um, essentially once there's that established dominant female the role of mating is is turned off in everyone yeah. else and it just goes to that larger dominant female now that if that female dies if the queen dies i believe that Someone basically the, the next in line basically takes so that would be controlled essentially by pheromones right yeah i, I would assume so. that dominant female would be exuding something saying i'm head honcho y'all back off uh-huh. And and she doesn't, she's not significantly different than the other workers. So like, if you looked at a nest, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's the, that's the queen right there. Right. Yeah. She looks pretty similar to everyone else. So when they do the overwintering queens, do they produce more than one per nest? So if a queen is, is overwintering, is that? Yeah. Like for the, like in the winter time, when, like now, when, when mm-hmm. they're dying off and they have those made it do multiple females mate so they can overwinter to possibly ensure survival or uh from what i found yes it, it does sound like that the the potential for the yeah mated females it sounds like it's the newly hatched um okay. like that okay. that last brood that hatches so out we're we're the fresh mate. ones we've got more time on our yeah. life left yeah, so it sounds like they don't have very long lifespans either like a normal like a year or 9 months really or less yeah. I also know that in the fall, like right now, they're producing mainly males. They switch over from female to male to allow all of those. They're not drones, but the males to mate with all the females. And I wonder if that's like, do they turn off or does the spermatheca just run out? Yeah. So it's like, they don't have to think about it. Previous, done. You know? Yeah. Maybe they don't have. Yeah. That. Yeah. Interesting. That that probably made no sense to anyone else except for us. But <laughs> well, uh, for for normal humans, there are some insects that can control fertilization. So Molly was saying earlier that if it's fertilized, then it will be a female. If it's unfertilized, it'll be a male. And so there are insects that can control that actively throughout their lifespan. So what we're saying here with these wasps is if they are nearing the end of their life cycle, it's either the female would shut off the fertilizing of the eggs so more males are produced, or maybe she runs out of the sperm that is available at that time of year. And so there is no more fertilization occurring. And so then males would be produced. And we don't know which one it is. It could be either. Yeah. So... So as that colony is growing in the spring, really quick, I'll take it back. So eggs are laid one by one per cell in that nest. The developing larvae are tended to the uh, sterile workers. The cells are, they remain open throughout all of the instars or uh, stages of that larvae until they pupate. And whenever they pupate, that that cell is closed off. That's when you see a white bubble cap on it. Correct. And those eggs are pretty big. I mean- you know, be careful. But if, if you 
if you kill a nest and you take it down, you can see Stick your hand right up in there. Yeah, put your it. face in there and look, <laughs> but you can see them. You can see the little white eggs stuck. They're kind of, I guess they're glued. Like they've got to be glued in some way so they don't fall out because uh, when you get into a beehive, if you pull up the frames and you lay them flat, you can drop out larvae and eggs. And I mean, I don't think it happens all that regularly, but you're not supposed to just hold it flat so that you don't lose them. So I wonder if if paper wasps do something special to like, like if the if the larvae have an anchor or something that they hook in there so they don't just tumble out. Oh yeah, or if it's like a type of oh yeah, the the larvae themselves have it. I was gonna say the eggs probably have like a cement or something. Yeah. That... Well, they would have <laughs> but... to have the cement to connect the petiole of the nest to whatever. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's the same one that glues the eggs in. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned, the colony is going to decline in the fall. The The females will mate as well. You're going to have basically mated queens that are going to be the ones overwintering. During the winter, the entire rest of the colony dies off. And I found that the nests become empty and that they're never reused. Now, I think there's one other genus, not Polistes, but still paper wasps, that apparently will return to a nest which I thought oh. was interesting. Are they the same wasps or like the same, like a different group of wasps of the same species? Um, A different, not of the same species, but of the same, no, sorry, different genus in the same subfamily though. Okay. So still in Polistony, they're not related to the yellow jackets or, so these are more related to paper wasps than they are to yellow jackets or hornets. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, is it the same queen going back to her old nest that she came from, or they'll just use an old, they don't care whose house it was. I think it's the same. Like they're able to detect their same. Yeah. It it seems like a far stretch. When I read it, I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. Okay. So you would have like the, like in right now at this time of year, so we're late fall going into winter and you would have the queen and she has her smell of her nest. And then she goes and overwinters and then she would be able to emerge out in the spring and then find her own smell and go to her nest again. Right. That is so cool. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so when I read that, I was like, wait, no, really? So in everything else that I read said, no, they don't do that. Like it's, it's never used again, except for this one other genus. So very interesting. Um, so all of this being said, I found that Queens coming in during the fall um, they're going to be way less aggressive than what we're, you know, used to, I guess. Or at least you're hoping as you're looking at the wasp on your wall. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I will say, I've even tried to to catch a couple of them here and, and they have been very, I don't know if docile, they, they're just kind of lazy flyers. Like yeah. they're, they're not flying very well. They're tired. It's like they, they're really sleepy. They're ready. Yeah. They're ready to take their winter nap. Mm-hmm. Um, or eternal nap. <laughs> <laughs> so all that being said, they are significant natural enemies. So I, I classify these guys as beneficial. Now, if you've got kids, you've got a playscape, you've got an area, uh, I don't know, a, a door where they're, they've got a nest growing, obviously you're going to want to get rid of those. But I find that the definition of pest usually just comes with, does it bother that one person? <laughs> Take care. Right. Of it, right. Where is it? What's it doing? Is there a problem? Yeah. So that's pretty much all I have on, on paper wasps. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about how, because the larvae don't feed themselves, do you want to talk about how mm. the, the larvae get fed and what they get fed? And why yes. people love them in their landscape? Love the larvae? Oh, yes. Well, the, oh, well, I see. Some it. people. Some why, people Why these would be beneficial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we mentioned how they feed on, you know, caterpillars and these soft-bodied insects. So gardeners tend to tend to love these guys especially in the spring whenever we talk about them being significant natural enemies um, of your crops so they will go out and hunt you know let's say a caterpillar they will take um, i believe that they chew all that up right and then they'll take it back to the larvae and kind of i don't know if it's a true (laughs) yeah is it is it a true (laughs) prophylaxis or is it um i don't i don't know i've actually never thought about that i thought they just shoved the the larvae in there but i don't know so i guess you know for those of us who are non non non-entomology background we can think of it kind of like um, a mama bird taking that like ground up worm back to the nest and and feeding her her young right yeah very similar so yeah the larvae are not feeding themselves Um, they stay in that nest the entire time until they pupate and emerge as adults ready to then provide provisions for the next I guess we could say generation, but it's not really a generation. The next yeah. round of adults. I get this question a lot where people are like, well, how do they get out of that closed cell? They have chewing mouth parts, so they just chew their way out. Imagine being like a cricket or spider just consumed alive by a wasp. I know. Oh. That's also awful. The insect world is awful. Fascinating, but awful. Yeah. There is this tiny little special it's now its own order these are very very tiny and when i say tiny um i'll tell you about how their life cycle is so on the paper wasp and y'all are probably wondering why is he mentioning this total other other insect right Mm -hmm. on the paper wasp on the abdomen of a paper wasp they've got little segments um so how can i compare um like if you put Lego pieces and stack them all up. Yeah, kind of like I was thinking, or like like shingles almost, like like shingles on a roof. So we'll start with a female and a male, right? So the females are going to be found wedged in between those abdominal segments. Uh, the males are going to be free flying. So once a male is a female, they mate and they reproduce. The first instar larvae of Strepsipterans are are mobile. They've got little legs and they can, you know, move around through the nest to nest mates, whichever. Once they, I believe by the time it's their second instar, they they lose that ability. Do they lose their so legs? The female essentially, yeah. So, and females never, well, most females, I think there's one or two genera of like one of the eight families of strepsipterin um, that even have legs, wings, or eyes. So the females are basically just like jelly blobs. blobs Yeah. (laughs) Jelly blobs that live inside of the um, Polistes wasp, other insects as well. But for for this podcast, they're living in between those segments on the wasp. Um, The males are not really common to find you're not going to see these at all there i mean something that you got to look at under a microscope but they're really fascinating to look at the antennae are very beetle-like um the the body so these guys are really interesting in that have you talked about flies at all on the podcast maybe 
We have, we've talked about small flies, right? Okay. So, so flies, typically insects are going to have two pairs of wings, right? And um, flies are special in that they have a modified hind uh, wing, which is called haltiers, used for, you know, locomotion, steering, all of that. Um, so in strepsipterans, it's really interesting because it's the forewing that's actually reduced uh, down into haltiers. And it's the hind wing that's expanded into the the flying wing. And they look like they look like fans like uh the fans you would i don't know what you call the they're yeah like the hand fans they're twisted too aren't they yes yeah yeah so and that that takes me to their their common name which is the twisted wing parasite Ah. so not at all you know a a common insect that you're going to come across but whenever you find it it's a really cool find when i was in school and i was taking 301 or it was 301 302 back then and whatever semester you did strip Cyptra, probably 302 mm-hmm. we put up some malaise traps and we something the mesh was too too tight or something we messed up and mm-hmm. the result though was that we caught all these strip Cyptra. and so we got to have that in our collection which was like you wow. know a huge awesome find i would have been very jealous it was pretty cool so it was something about like we had to there was a hole and we had to tape the funnel or something. And so uh-huh. they couldn't get, normally they would get back out, but so we didn't catch a lot of stuff, but we caught strep because yep. they were so tiny. They came in and couldn't get out or something like that. They they were the only ones that could make their way in, I guess. And the things that we would do for extra orders in that class. I know. Uh-huh. I mean, we had, we were in the lab with like a squirrel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> trying trying I didn't to go get lice off of it. A dead squirrel. How sad. To get what off of it? Lice. Lice off of it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boom. You know, I contacted the health center to try to get lice, and they wouldn't give me any. No, no. It's like I know but, that you guys have seen lice. I mean, just grab me a few. Just they probably a, thought, like, who is this weird woman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just go to a, a daycare or a kinder. Talk to a kindergarten teacher. Well, when I had School the nurse. pest control company come out to look at this paper wasp nest in the fireplace, I told them, oh, you know, I'm, I'm an entomologist with AgriLife Extension. Um, if by any chance you you do this removal and you don't spray pesticide all over it and, and get the nest messed up, I'd love to have it. <laughs> they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, that's our segment on paper wasps. We hope that you enjoyed that. And we'll catch you next time.